Today, we have Bill Dick, the Reverend Bill Dick, who is from Toronto Alliance Church, one of the churches that we partner with um, down in the heart of Toronto. We have, in the past, made lunches together, prepared those, sent them down. We've had a food collection, uh, clothing collection, and we have, we've done those, and we sent them down to support this. Bill Dick has been, been doing this for, I think it's 117 years now that he has been running downtown Toronto. So the fact that John Tory had to step down really is not going to make that much difference because Bill's still there. Bill's coming here to us. Please welcome him this morning warmly. Bill, come on up. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> you were so funny. <laughs> it's not 117 years. It is... Uh, it is 29, but <laughs> it's, it's really good to be with you here, and we, uh, thank you for your partnership with us, and we couldn't do it, you know, we, we just can't do what we do unless we partner with, with, uh, with others, with you, and uh, just thank you, and may God bless you for having uh, enough room in your heart to include us, and uh, very grateful. It's good to be here and to share something maybe... Uh, something of our life and the thing that the things that God's put upon us and done in us that would bless you, um, uh, and that's uh, sure my my desire here. There's a saying uh, comes by a guy named C.T. Studd who is a missionary. He was a cricketer turned uh, missionary. He said some folks like to live within the sound of church and chapel bell, but I would run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And that really is the theme that, you know, the, the mantra, the, the, you know, the motto that Donna and I have taken on for our lives here in the heart of the city. And I and, uh, want to talk here today about outflow, the outflow of our lives, and, you know, and what, that, what that looks like and how that came about. And in that, really my desire is, I know that your world is not the same as our world, but in that uh, there are transferable things because we're all called to outflow. We're all called to mission. And so that's, uh, that's very much, can I just, uh, just for my part also, just ask for God's grace here uh, in prayer. Let me just uh, lead you. Father, thank you for this church here. Thank you. May your blessing rest upon them. Each one who's joining here online or in person, uh, would you guide us as strengthen our hearts? Help me for my, my part and each one as they listen that we might hear the words of your Spirit speaking to our hearts. We do delight in you and your ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the things that, uh, there, so there's a few, a few pieces that I want to describe here in terms of of the outflow of our, our life and how that came about. But one was, and I think that God does, does this all the time, He takes, we like to think about strength, we like to live out of our strength, but the truth is strength often comes out of weakness. It calls us often to things that we don't, we don't gravitate to because they are just so... Uh, immersed in our own background of weakness. But my own call 
uh, came really through Joshua. Joshua 1, verse 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And it's not because I was courageous. It was not. I, if there was anything, uh, you know, remarkable about me when I was growing up, I don't know what it was. That's the honest truth. I knew nothing of the city. I'm a farm boy. My nearest neighbor was, was a kilometer away. I was in a family of seven, seven kids, and, and, you know, I was, if anything, I was insecure. I was just so insecure as a kid, and I, uh, I really preferred to hide rather than be noticed. I thought small of myself, very small. Uh, there was, I don't remember any real convictions. I, there was no leadership. There's you know, nobody would, would really notice me or choose me. That was the truth of it. Why would God? You know, it's just a ton of weakness. But uh, as I went into college, that, you know, that became a bit of a problem, like, like crippling insecurity. But it drove me. It drove me at that point to God. And I would take an hour plus in the morning alone with God. And it wasn't because I was praying for people. It wasn't because I was praying for the interests of God. It was so that God, I would meet God and he would give me strength to face my day. So that I could go out of my room and go through my classes and meet all these confident people all over the place. And, it was, so, and that became, and I met God. And that's the truth of it. I met God, and his presence became my life. It was not just a, a little, you know, sidebar thing. His presence in my life became the only way that I could function, and I have never lost that. My prayers matured, thankfully, you know. <laughs> my prayers matured. But the longing for God and every, it became foundational for outflow. I, I love being with him. Prayer is not a challenge for me. I delight in it. I could be there a long, long time. But it came out of weakness. And out of that, then, where we have a foundation that delights in God and delights in the presence of God, delights in the love of God and feeds on that, there... Out of that comes tenacity. Out of that comes hope for a city that has none because I find it in God day by day. I have not lost that. I just have so, I, I so much long to be with him. And heaven will be so glorious because I've just learned to fellowship with him. But God does that, eh? from strength to weakness. And, and, and it so affects the outflow of our life. You know, what is the, what's the weakness of your life? We all have weakness. We're human. But let the weakness drive you to God because he has all that we need. You know, and it so affects outcomes and the very things that we're called to. The second thing I want to mention, really so affected outflow is too great 
women in my life. And one was my mother, from whom I learned that we are built for battle. I learned that from my mom. She was a very meek, quiet, withdrawn woman, but not when she went to prayer. She knew who she was, and she knew her formidable foes, and she knew how to pray and to win. And we had an amazing fellowship with my mom, you know, right until the end, and was with her even when she passed away. What a delightful, what a delightful woman, and what an impact she made. And we talked about prayer. And, but, you know, but what I, I don't mean like battle, like, I, in the downtown, there, I see so much anger all the time. I see people fighting with angry fists, and you can hear bones crush under, uh, you know, those kind of, And there's outbreaks of anger probably daily, you know, on Queen Street in front of our church. I don't mean that. I mean battle in terms of spiritual conflict, in terms of the darkness that, that grips the city, and keeps people in such bondage. And any advance of the church is always won somewhere before it's won out there. Like it's, it's a battle that is won with, it, with God in prayer. It's a, it's a battle that definitely feels uh, like you're up against something formidable and dark. And, you know, I learned that from my mom. The very second day that I was that I, I was a pastor at this church. There was a woman came, and she, uh, she claimed to be a witch, and she said she wanted to be free. And it began a, a journey with this woman of several months, and truly she was very familiar and powerful in darkness, and she wanted to be free of these tormenting and controlling spirits, but she didn't want Jesus. And that was very confusing for me. And, uh, but it just, be, and, but, you know, that was just how, how it began. I, uh, I was educated then by God, really, in this whole thing of, of living and ministering in such powerful darkness, but have seen so many over the years set free from evil spirits. And uh, just how God advances, how his kingdom advances. Every time it advances, it, where it advances, it means darkness is pushed back somewhere, somehow. I just so delight in that. I've just come to take such confidence in that. Built for battle. Learned from my mom. Mentored me in that. But the other is, of course, my amazing wife. And I would say so many things to credit her about how, uh, as a result of her and our life together, uh, that have it, that's impacted outflow. Uh, you know, two are always better than one. That's what the scriptures say. Boy, it's been my testimony. But just one thing I want to, you know, I want to draw out here, and that is, that is just, uh, I see in her. I see, uh, I see in her. I see so resident in her. I see uh, this tackling of the impossible. It's just faith. A woman with a gift of faith. And where we're called into the heart of the city, that is, it's a place that everything's impossible. Everything, the things that God calls us to are impossible. That's why he calls us to it. It's, it's a God-sized thing all the time. 
There are no exceptions. If God calls us to it, it's bigger than us. And if we're intimidated by it, that's just the first step, then we look past ourselves to God, who enables us to do that, tackling the impossible. And, you know, it's just, it's been my delight here for these, we're in our 40th year now, serve Christ together, to abide in Him together, to love people together, to trust Christ in impossible odds. Because with God, nothing is impossible. In our living room at home, we, uh, I just put a picture display, actually, uh, of all these, a uh, whole bunch of different pieces from our, our life together, of miracles of provision. They're unquestionably miracles. All our kids know it, and I don't want them to forget it. And I want all of our nine grandchildren to know about it. I want them to know our story, and I want them to know the things that God did. We trusted him. It was a totally impossible, and it's what he did, and there's pictures to prove it. And that's just what God, that's what he, that's what he does, and he calls us to that. He calls us to those sort of things, to live in the land of the impossible. And it's so important to the very outflow that God calls us to. So, the two incredible women in my life, both, their impact affects outflow. A third thing here, we, you know, in, as, I reflect on, uh, as I reflect on our mission and the outflow of our lives, there's, I, I, I feel like there's, we have two hands, and there's something for each of our hands, and it's different. And one is compassion. And already we've heard about it this morning. You know, in, uh, as the sister was sharing about, <clears throat> about Rise uh, and, and that ministry here to uh, mostly women. And so compassion, describing the outflow of our life. Yes, Jesus, it says he had compassion. It says in the Old Testament, God had compassion. He was troubled that Jonah didn't have compassion. This is for their enemies. He had compassion. Jesus had compassion for people, sometimes the multitudes, but he had compassion for that, that one who was out of the way, the man from the Gadarenes. He lived in the tombs, all alone, chained up. The town put him there and chained him there because he's dangerous. And he's self-isolated. He's self-harming, screaming out in the middle of the night. They could just hear his screams. He lives in the tombs. And Jesus, he went right into it. Went there. He went there. He went there on purpose. And he set the man free at the cost of 2,000 of the town's pigs. He set the man free, and the townspeople were so rattled by it, they came and they asked him to leave, which he did. And the only person then that he helped in the town was that one man who the whole town had rejected. That, I feel, in many respects, is our life. Compassion, deeds of compassion for people who, don't, who are not noticed. But they're precious to God. He, the, the one who's not noticed, who's in the back lane, is, is, as, is as valuable as the CEO. Just as precious. It's an eternal soul. It's a living soul. The devil will just go after that one as well. 
as much, but to have compassion on these people. Uh, you know, to, and to feed. You know, Jesus fed the people. He, you know, he cared for the lepers. It's the individual that counts. And maybe one day God will build a huge church in the downtown, but I know what's for our part is, is the individual. Everyone matters, and to, you know, and to show compassion. There's many things we do. We, you know, we, every day we feed. They come to our door. On average right now, about 100 people. And we give lunches to every one of them and food bank stuff to most of them, whatever they request. Clothing to most of them. Toiletries and all that. The demand is heavy. But this week on one day, there was over 150. I don't know what was with that day. Over 150 people. And that's coming to our church. Like, and to have compassion. And with each of those is an opportunity. It's more than just food. It's relationship. It's giving, it's giving hope. It's what compassion does. It gives dignity back to the person. That's what if somebody's had compassion upon you, what, what, did, what did that do to you? You knew that you, know, you were in a, in a difficult place and you had something different coming to you and they had mercy. What does that do? I see every day what it does to people. They walk away and sometimes even look back. Like, who are you? I just see. I see the hope it gives. It, it, I see it, it keeps people from throwing themselves off the gardener. I see it. As they say as much, you, you give me hope. Yeah, so it's what compassion does. It's so precious. In one hand, we have compassion. We, these deeds of, of compassion, they, a lot of things we do, like we feed people. But they come to us, but I say, we go out to them too. Like even last night, I, somebody was manning the front door, so I went out, had a whole bunch of lunches, went out in the back alleys, and you know, I was just praying with people there and giving food, because they're too hammered to even find their way. They're too lost, they're too despairing to even make the 100-meter trip to the, where they know there's food at the church. But they're just too stoned. They're, Whatever. So you just go and find them. And, you know, and there I am in the middle of Queen Street praying with this young man. His life is so... I'm just watching the deterioration because of his heavy drug addiction. Give him a lunch. Can I... Can I say his name. Can I pray for you? He looks at me. That would be good. Closes his eyes, and I just watch immediately. The man is just, he's just like transported into the land of the eternal. And this man whose life is 100% out of control is there quiet before God. I'm just praying. It's such a beautiful thing, such a delightful thing. Compassion opens the door. We, we, you know, we teach ESL to people new to Canada. We, run a, we began a debt center this year to, you know, not to pay people's debt, 
can't do that. Finances are always a nail biter for us, but you know, but, but to help people with, we do it in partnership with Christians Against Poverty. To, to um, they do they do the heavy lifting behind the, you know, like it's 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 the, the debt of the poor. It's credit card debt that leaves people in hopeless places, and they they can, you know, consolidate debt and bring interest down. They know the professionals. They know how to do that. We're the front man, building relationships, bringing them food and hope, and pointing them to Christ. And and Donna leads that with a, with a team. Yeah, we pray with so many people. That's oh, it's all compassion. I pray with so many. How just how God has opened doors just because of compassion. So many natives right on our intersection, uh, and and there, you know, there's so much addiction, and people just stumbling through traffic almost 24/7 in their, in their crazy state. Uh, but in that, I've seen I've seen God heal people. I've seen him heal a native woman. It was such a dramatic he healing. It was literally a gate opener into that whole community. The divine healing. One healing that opened the way for me right into the heart of that community. As a result, there have been so many of them have come to faith. So many have done so many of their funerals. And able to just to describe people who've come to trust as a, because of compassion. In one hand, we bring compassion. Uh, we're all able to bring compassion in one hand, and in the other is the good news of Jesus. And we do that. The gospel is the power. Uh, the gospel is the power of God. It's just like this uh, in Mark 2, the paralytic that is lowered, ripped up the roof of the house, and they lowered this paralytic right in front of Jesus. You look at it, and you think, well, clearly we know what the problem is. You know, but Jesus looks at the man and he says, your sins are forgiven. Because he knows what's at the root of the problem. And in the end, he heals the man too. But he goes right to the root. That's the root of the problem. And, you know, that's the, that's the good news. In both hands, and always looking for, for opportunities to talk to people about, about Jesus. And, you know... The city sees the merits of compassion. The city does not see the merits of the good news of Jesus. But the gospel is the power of God for salvation for any who will believe. Just, of, you know, as we, since this last summer, we, this last summer we, we did a thing. Where it, it, it was called a storytelling cafe. It was Tibetan Heritage Month, and there's a ton of Tibetans here in our town. So we thought, well, we have a secondary place in Parkdale. It's just a small community center type thing. And so we decided out of that we would just tell a we, we just started a storytelling cafe. So every half hour, we'll tell a different Bible story because nobody knows the Bible stories. It's all innovative. So let's just tell every 30 minutes. Just invite people, come in, and hear another story about Jesus. Everybody sort of heard about Jesus, but nobody knows the stories at all. So there was people that came. But there was this one woman. She was a counselor with the mental health institution. And she says, I have a number of clients who are expressing interest in your storytelling cafe. Could I bring them? I said, well, for sure, bring them. So she brought these residents. They're 100% they're residents, full-time residents in a mental health institution. And she brings them. It's the closest that they can get to church. 
just rented a taxi and brought them. And they just, they just took it in so, in, so intensely. And so it came back the next day. And uh, then it became a regular thing. And uh, so they, uh, they started to come like, we, we kept doing this, this storytelling cafe. And um, bi-weekly, and then she said, actually, there's a, there's a, I have a lot more people that would like to come than can fit in a taxi. Would you be open to coming to our place? So I go to their place, and I tell these Bible stories, and then interact with it, just creatively tell the Bible story, and then interact with them about it after, afterwards. And, and then, uh, so I, I go there, here to, uh, to a pl- these people uh, will never come to our church. They'll never come. Because most of them, their paranoia is too great to even leave the facility. Or for the rest of them, it's hard to navigate the stairs because we're a second floor place on Queen. And so they'll never come. But we go to them. We go to them. We do that a lot. We go. Whether or not they ever become part of the, you know, and so here I go, I go to them. I tell these Bible stories. And it's honestly, it's one of the most riveting audiences I have ever experienced in my life. These people, various stages of mental illness, but they are taking the stories in incredibly. And on the sidelines are all these workers from the nations who are mostly Buddhist in their background. And they're taking it all in as well. Uh, what an incredible opportunity. And many of them have already come to faith. I know that. Every time at the end, I'm praying these prayers of salvation with these people. But such opportunities that are given to us. We have after-school clubs for, for children, and we do it in our place, but we even go to the apartment buildings because that's where they feel more comfortably, and we just use the party room. And then we run after-school clubs for kids. And the first week, just the one that's going right now, first week there's three, three kids and six and then 12. This last time was like 15 kids, all of them, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist background. Totally different. Totally different background. And the opportunities, you know, so. And then all the folks that come to our front door, the, the, you know, the homeless and those who are street involved, just, all of them are just always with any opportunity that we can, pointing people to Jesus. Compassion on the one hand, and the good news about Jesus in the, in the other, and always going with both. But I want to mention, too, you know, something that's so critical to outflow in our lives is redeeming hardship. Redeeming hardship. Because we all, again, we all go through hardship. We live through hardship. We don't like it. We don't like often having been through it. We don't like to talk about it. But the thing that I, that I just want to mention here, so significant in our life, is for many years, one of our sons became lost in the world of addiction reached out to alcoholics so many over the years. But I watched what our son was doing was more aggressive than almost all of them. And watching 
a trajectory that filled our own hearts with a lot of fear, though hope. God gave us hope. And he's doing fine now. And that's, uh, you know, that chapter's behind him. And he, he really is doing well. But that was, it was, you know, when a family has to walk through that, it's gut-wrenching. It's, it is painful to the extreme. You know, you come into the city to reach the city, and the city reaches back into your home and wants to grab one of your kids and, have, for all intents and purposes, has him there. And, the, and what is, you're just watching deterioration, and it's fast. It's aggressive. It's dark right from your own home. But God gave us hope, and, you know, he, he, he guided us, and we, we reached out to him through that, that bitter and that long journey. And God helped us and encouraged us. And in the end, he came through it. But, you know, it's the kind of thing that you, when you go through it, you just want to leave it behind. Thank goodness. Until the Lord put it upon our hearts to actually write a book. Not about that, but to encourage and support other parents who have kids lost in the world of addiction. And so we did that. And just this last week, we signed like the last document over the publisher. And all the edits, the last edit is done. And probably within a month, the book will finally be, be published. But even in the writing of it, you just are scratching away at all that again. Uh, but, our, but our son gave us the permission. He wrote the foreword to it the foreword to the book. But I think that the book will be very impactful because I meet so many parents who are in a terrible place, that terrible place of having a loved one who's in, you know, that, that very tormenting place of addiction. And where do you, where, there's such conflicting, one day you have hope, the other day you are, are full of fear. And walking with parents, so it's just a devotional. Uh, it's, it's a you know a daily devotional thing that goes on for 24 weeks, just addresses different issues. But uh, but the point is, in the outflow of our life, the thing that we I I think struggle to think about is how God could redeem pain, how God could redeem hardship. There's a chapter you lived through. And you never want to think about it again until God puts his finger on it and said, you can have compassion on other people in a way that none other, because you've been there, you understand intuitively how people think. And there's a world of other people out there just like you were. Only you're on the other end. And you know Christ. And he puts his finger on that. He says, I want to redeem that. That's what God does. That's what God does. And it's serious impact for outflow of mission and what God calls us to. Just the last thing I want to say, how significant it is. You know, if, if we want to talk about outflow and how outflow can be significant, is the need to be filled with the Spirit. 
When I, I grew up, you know, I grew up on a pig farm, but I spent a lot of my summers working on fruit farms in the Niagara Peninsula. You know, I, I love fruit. That is my addiction. I love fruit. You know, once, you know, when I was picking fruit, I was always good until I ate the first strawberry. My profits went down markedly <laughs> the rest of the day because I just can't stop eating fruit. I just love it so much. But, uh, but you know, where a tree does not produce fruit, you know, the farmer isn't, where the tree becomes unproductive, he's not patient with that. <laughs> Put up a maybe for a year, maybe two, chop that thing down, and let's get something productive in the orchard. You know, that's just how a farmer is very, very practical, you know, not just here for decoration. But early on, I realized that there is very little fruit in my life. Our early days in marriage, I just reflect on so little fruit, so little love, there's so little power, so little of anything that matters. I, was, I had more, you know, I was more passionate, more, con, more passionate for evening television than I was for seeing, you know, people come to faith and I began to call out to God to fill me with His Spirit. Because I, I, I know, like everybody who knows Christ, everybody who's a Christian has the Spirit of God. If we don't have the Spirit of God, Paul says we don't even belong to Him. So we all have the Spirit, but it doesn't mean that we're filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Straight out, it's an imperative. Be filled with the Spirit. But we are not necessarily filled with the Spirit. We can be filled with anger. We can be full of ourselves. We can be full of a lot of things, but not with the Spirit of God. But he says the life that's impactful will be a life filled, controlled by the Spirit. And so I just began calling out to God that he would fill me with his Spirit. And he, and, you know, and he did. He did. It wasn't, uh, you know, and he has many times since. He has many times since. And I, just, there, I began to see a new fire, a new love, and a new fruitfulness where I began to see as a result of my life people being really impacted by God and they, and they remain. They remain. How can, you know, how can we do what God calls us to do in our own strength? It's impossible. Be filled with the Spirit. Call out to God. Just confess to Him. My life just seems so bland. Forgive me for my self-reliance. I want to learn to depend on you as a lifestyle. Fill me with your spirit. Oh, in conclusion, just these words out of Isaiah 43. Now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned, and the flame will not consume you, because I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. And just to say, overflow from these verses here, 
Overflow is not an option. Or overflow, <laughs> overflow is, outflow is not an option for us. It's where God's going with our lives. We belong to him. Outflow is not an option. Number two, outflow is made possible because we're bound to God. That's why it's possible. And number three, don't pull back from outflow because of fear or danger. God is with you. Lean into outflow. That's where God's going. We're made for outflow. We're made for that. Let's, let's just bow in prayer. Thank you. Father, we still and quiet ourselves in your presence. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Forgive us, Father, for our self-reliance. Have mercy upon us. Draw us into your purposes. Show us, O oh God, what you have for each one here. Your blessing, Father, to rest upon this church. Your blessing to rest upon each one here. Thank you that your people are so treasured to you. We love you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.